All right. Welcome, everybody, to this special edition of the Assembly Call, special Selection Sunday edition of the Assembly Call. Obviously, a disappointing Selection Sunday for your Indiana Hoosiers as a Indiana, despite all of the quad one wins and, you know, the, the solid resume that they put together before the, uh, the calendar turned, uh, the Hoosiers were not selected for the NCAA tournament, but Indiana will be in the NIT tournament. And so we assembled an esteemed panel of bracketologists and, uh, IU analysts to talk about it tonight. We've got, uh, the coach Brian Tonsoni here with us, head of Delphi Bracketology. We've got Galen Clavio here. And of course, we've got Andy Bottoms here. And so we're going to break down uh, the NCAA tournament bracket and kind of talk about, you know, their thoughts on how the bracket was selected, some of the issues they had with it, what the committee got right, what the committee got wrong. Uh, but I guess, gentlemen, let's just open. I'll give each of you a chance to just make a quick opening statement just on the day overall. And then we'll dive into talking a little bit about the NIT um, to begin, because that's obviously the tournament that Indiana is in. And so we want to talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, before we talk about that other tournament. Um, so let's start with, uh, let's start with coach coach, your, uh, your opening thoughts on this selection Sunday. Well, it's, it's just one of those days that you really enjoy as a fan. And I think, uh, it, it's something to look forward to. And it's just getting a little bit old, not seeing Indiana in there for the number of years, um, you know, four out of the last six times. And so, um, you know, that's my thought. Uh, I think the teams selected were fair. I think the seeding was poor, but I think the team selection was fair. And I look forward to seeing the Hoosiers play again. And once you're a fan, you're always a fan. So you root for the Hoosiers to win, regardless if that's where you, you want them to be. So it's a great day to be a fan of basketball. You have two tournaments now to look forward to, because uh, normally I dismiss the NIT to some extent. And um, let's go play some ball. Absolutely. Mr. Bottoms? Your opening thoughts on this selection Sunday? I'm sure one of them is just a big exhale. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, quite honestly, I'd have already. If we were doing this, I'd probably have already, you know, drank like four beers and passed out on the couch at this point. But you can do uh, that while the show's going on if you want to. That's perfectly. Well, there acceptable. were there were times in the uh, in the in the infancy of the show when uh, I, I, there was never any passing out. But there was definitely drinking. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to trying to dial that back a little bit for us. Um, we're professionals now. I, I think I, well, that's, that's still debatable, but we're, we're we're doing our best to to act like it. Um, you, you know, I I think based on how other events had really played out over the course of the week and some of the other conference tournaments, I, there really wasn't a whole lot of hope that that I was holding out at this point. Um, the, the hope was largely we really don't know how the NCAA selection committee is going to use the net and will it be used any differently than the RPI was and. Um, and maybe you talk yourself into the way that the NCAA would evaluate the injuries that this team has had. But otherwise, I didn't really hold out a lot of hope. And the more, uh, you know, the more things like the Atlantic 10 and the, and the Pac-12 played out, the less likely it seemed that IU would be there. So I think the net result of, you know, what happened to IU is not particularly surprising. They're right there in that, you know, first group of teams out uh, based on, you know, what they had done in those quality wins. But it wasn't enough to overcome the, the volume of losses um, in terms of the actual selection committee and, and that kind of stuff. I would, uh, I, I would largely agree with what, uh, what coach had to say. I thought the field was, was fine. I certainly had no, I didn't pick Belmont to get in um, just based on, you know, trying to look back historically at teams with a profile like theirs. It, it wasn't, didn't feel like a, a slam dunk by any means, but I certainly didn't have an issue with it. It was glad to see a team like that get rewarded who had had a solid season and, um, and, and played really well. I don't know that TCU is the team that I would have put out uh, in in place of Belmont as it as it played out. I think there were some other teams that uh, 
were probably more uh, more deserving to not even get a bid, including one of whom got an eight seed. Um, so that would you know kind of segue into the you know some of the seeding questions. I thought particularly around in the kind of eight to ten range, I thought there were some wonky things. There were probably a few other places, uh, at other spots in the bracket, but the ones that I've missed by more than a couple of seed lines tended to be in that eight to 10 range. And I don't really, even looking back at it now, trying to, you know, put yourself in somebody else's shoes and figure out why some of the decisions were made that, that were, I, I don't necessarily understand, but uh, I think that'll always be true no matter who's on the committee and no matter what tool you're using to do it. So there's a, a little bit of that. It's just going to happen either way. And a special guest, Galen Clavio here with us tonight. Always great to have you with us, sir. What were your opening thoughts on selection Sunday? Jared, first of all, thanks for having me. The first thing I wanted to do getting off a plane from Mexico was uh, hop on assembly call. So this is a, a, an unexpected... To talk about the NIT. To talk about the NIT. I mean, my God, what Man. a night. Right, now, are, are, we blaming, is, are, are we blaming you for this? Is this part of the Galen curse since you're back on soil and Indiana didn't get it? I was still it? in Mexico. Okay. All right, just Deanne Brooks to be committed to Kentucky while I was in Mexico. All right, that's true. That let's just You're all, off the hook. You're off the there's hook. There's an all, argument to be made that you weren't far enough away, but oh it, you certainly God. were not around. <laughs> So we're no. searching um, for explanations, Galen. I, I my explanation is that I'm not to blame. That's the explanation. <laughs> no, the uh, I'll say I actually have kind of a, a a contrary opinion to Coach and to Andy. I thought the seating for the most part was fine. I'm not just saying that because I tracked pretty close to it uh, most of the time. I I thought the seating decisions for the most part made sense. Yeah, there were a couple of teams that I was a little questionable about, but I didn't think anything was way off. I, I did, however, have a problem with some of the last teams they put in uh, to the at-large pool. And I'm not even talking about Indiana. I, I think that it was perfectly justifiable that Indiana got in. But, you know, it. I, I guess maybe my larger problem is with the fact that the NCAA went through all of these issues to try to develop a new metric, the net, to do something. And, and after now a cycle, I don't know what exactly it did. You know, you, you put a team in to your at-large pool who has a net of 73 in St. John's and that's your last team in and you, you leave teams 20 or 30 spots higher in the net out. It's like, what, what good is it as a metric? Uh, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me on that perspective. And we had the typical stuff from the, you know, from the, uh, the committee chairman where he makes statements after the selection show that really don't bear out in reality in terms of what the committee said. I mean, he's, he made one comment about uh, how, you know, it, it was about the number of cracks you had at tier one wins and what you did with them. And yet a team that was safely in as an at large was Florida, who was four and 12 in tier one games. We see this every year, so I'm used to it. I'm not that overly concerned about it, but I don't think any, this was certainly not, um, any better of a year for the selection committee than what we've seen in past years. I think there were plenty of things to to pick nits about. So that's that's where I'm at with it. I mean, it was it was fine. It was pretty much what I expected. Okay. Well, let's hold some of those thoughts because if we have some time, you know, at the end here, I'd love to dive into it more. You know, especially with the breadth of knowledge that you guys have on it. So definitely some threads there that we can that we can kind of pick at. But I, let's talk about the NIT because that is the tournament that Indiana is in. Um, it's obviously a disappointment. And so, you know, I think, you know, look, as we kind of approach this, you know, I had someone ask me, you guys going to do post game shows for NIT games? Absolutely. You know, someone tweeted me and, you know, said, is this even relevant? I don't know, man. I use playing basketball. It's relevant to me, you know, like it's, this is disappointing, but I think it's important to remember that you do have to earn an NIT bid, (laughs) you know, like it is very much a consolation prize 
It is not the standard. We should all be disappointed by it. It needs to get better. But it is a small step forward from last year, and the team did have to do some things this season to get that NIT bid. And so I'm going to approach it with, you know, hoping that the team can get the most out of it, can play as long as possible, try to end the year with some kind of positive momentum. And there's nothing that can happen in this tournament, I don't think, and you guys can disagree with with me um, if you feel differently. There's nothing that can happen that can really ultimately change the perception of this season and the disappointment, but it can at least give us something positive here at the end of the season. It gives us a chance to see guys like Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford and Zach McRoberts and Evan Fitzner play and you know, I don't know. I just like watching the cream and crimson suit up and play basketball. So that that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, and, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable to let everybody grieve for Indiana's 2019 NCAA tournament appearance, however they want to. Uh, and so if they're not excited about the NIT tonight, that's fine. But I think, you know, the fans that come back and show up Tuesday night in the arena, show up to watch the game, all of that stuff. You know, I feel like you're with your team in the down times and you're with your team in the good times and it makes the good times even sweeter. So I hope most IU fans will come around and try to approach this with as positive a mindset as possible. And certainly I hope the team does that as well. The details, in case you missed them, uh, Indiana plays Tuesday night, March 19th. It's coming right up, 7 o'clock. They play St. Francis of Pennsylvania, the number 261 team in Ken Palm. Uh, We'll talk more about them on Banner Monday tomorrow. Um, and then if Indiana wins that game, they would face the winner of Providence or Arkansas. So a potential rematch with Arkansas if Indiana and Arkansas can both win. Uh, obviously, that's going to be a tough matchup for Arkansas there against Providence. So, Galen, I'll start with you here on the NIT as we look at this. And we talked a little bit before we went live. Um, you know, it sounds like from a ticket perspective, tickets will be $20. Uh, there will be free parking. It'll be GA seating which seems like a good way to you know, make this an accessible event, make it an affordable event, try to get as many people there as possible. You know, We know that there have been NIT games in IU's past history that have not, there's not been a lot of enthusiasm for some of those. Sometimes we didn't even want to play at home. Thank goodness we're not making that idiotic mistake this year. Um, but as you kind of look at this from you know, being there on campus and how you feel about it, how you think fans will feel about it, what are, what, what are your thoughts on Indiana and the NIT right now? Well, I think the athletic department made a good move in making tickets affordable, making parking free, because I don't know that there's going to be a huge amount of excitement about this particular game. Uh, this is not a marquee opponent that I use playing. It, it wouldn't be because it's you know, the, the way that they do the seating. Uh, every team that won a regular season conference title but didn't win their conference tournament and get an automatic bid to the NCAA gets into the NIT. So you're going to have some teams that are relatively good i think providence and arkansas the potential second round opponents are definitely very good then you're gonna have teams like saint francis who is really bad i mean this is this is a team that only has 16 wins against division one opponents did they win the the regular season of their conference is that why they're tied for the regulars and they won some arcane tiebreaker in the northeast conference not exactly a a banner conference for college basketball uh so this is this is about as low pulse of a game as I think you could get for a, a, an opening round NIT game at home, at least in in this era. Certainly, you know, if it was like 14 years ago, we could we could have a different conversation. But um, look, I think there'll be some interest from from fans. I, I'm not sure about students at this point. I just don't know if this is going to move the needle. But I, I do think that from a draw perspective, this is about as ideal as you could get for Indiana. You get a game you should win easily. You're facing a really, really bad uh, offensive team, a team that can't shoot the ball from outside. And, you know, it, it it should be one of those situations where it segues directly into another home game 
So even if you don't have a huge crowd for this one, you'll be able to build some momentum. People get a little more interested because you'll be playing a name opponent, hopefully in the next round. And yes, I am looking completely past St. Francis in this game. I'm sorry, maybe that's bad luck, but hey, I'm bad luck anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think that that's going to be important. If IU wants to get crowds for the NIT games, uh, they're going to need to have people realize that, yeah, hey, we got a shot at doing something in this. Uh, and you know, maybe they get, 7,000, maybe they get 10,000, maybe they get less than that in this first game. I think a lot of it's just going to depend on on whether uh, they can get people hyped up and get students off a of spring break out into Assembly Hall. You know, the great irony of this game is if Indiana had scheduled St. Francis in the regular season instead of Arkansas, they're probably in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, no, it's it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's just a, so it's ridiculous. a fascinating situation that we find ourselves in. Of course, in. if Deron Davis had just made that tip, we're in the NCAA tournament. And if, 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 oh man, there's going to be so many of those that just make this so frustrating. Don't, don't do that to yourself. I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, Andy, I'm guessing St. Francis, you're obviously an encyclopedia of knowledge about these teams. We always lean to you. Do you know anything about St. Francis other than what you can view from their Ken Palm profile? Uh, they were, I think they were one of the preseason favorites in their league. I seem to recall having them in my preseason bracketology. They had a lot of guys back from, uh, from that team and, uh, didn't start out the conference season pretty well, but then went on a, a run and ended up, that league was really, um, really crowded, mediocre, I don't know, whatever you want to say, where there was a lot of teams within a couple games of each other. Uh, and then they lost in the final. So they've got a, a couple good guards, I believe, you know, going to be typical of a, of a team in a school that size where they just don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of size on the roster that's going to play a great deal. Um, so which you can kind of see from looking at their, you know, Ken Palm page, they've got a, you know, six, nine guy that they'll play, but you know, everybody else is six, five or smaller for the most part in the lineups that they, uh, that they use most often. So, you know, those are, those are things from IU standpoint that will be, uh, you know, advantageous, I guess, from a, a size standpoint, but yeah, I, I would agree with Galen. This is, this feels like a game they should, uh, be able to handle pretty easily their 330th in adjusted defensive efficiency. So that seems uh, seems like a positive. Offensive right. explosion, baby. Yeah, it's coming. Um, so something that's Especially important with the three point line move back. So get excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now that's what I wanted to hit next because that's something that some people may not be aware of that the NIT is now you know kind of this place where college basketball kind of tries out stuff. And so the three point line is going to be extended by approximately one foot eight inches. So it's the same distance used by uh, FIBA and credit to Alex Bozich inside the hall for tweeting this out earlier. The free throw lane will be widened from 12 feet to 16 feet, which is consistent with the width used by the NBA. The shot clock will reset to 20 seconds after an offensive rebound instead of the full 30 seconds. Uh, and then team fouls are going to reset at the 10 minute mark of each half for the purposes of determining free throws and one and one free throws will be eliminated. And you can kind of go on and, and, read the whole thing there about free throws. And, you know, I have to say, as someone who does want to take the NIT as seriously as possible, especially now that our team is in it, I I don't know. Maybe you guys disagree with this. And, Coach, I want to get your thoughts on this kind of from a coaching perspective. You know, when you approach this tournament and there's kind of like these new things that they're trying out, it makes the NIT feel a little bit more gimmicky, I think, than it needs to. I think there's a perfectly reasonable opportunity for a good kind of second class second chance tournament like this and for it to be viewed you know as serious as it possibly can be since it's not the full field but this makes it feel a little bit more gimmicky and a little bit less serious in a sense just from my perspective on it do you agree with that and from a coach's perspective how do you go about a trying to get a team excited about playing in the NIT when they'd wanted to be in the NCAA tournament and then be like oh yeah by the way the three point lines back and there's kind of these rule things you guys are going to need to be aware of 
Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And the mental approach to sports is so important, and it, whether it's a regular season, postseason, whatever. That was my concern after the loss with Ohio State was that uh, if, if the guys were struggling to get ready to play in the Big Ten tournament, what, what's going to be their approach if it is uh, the NIT? And, you know, when you, when you lose right away, you might get mad and say we don't need to go to the NIT. But it's good that we're in the NIT, and, I, and I've come around to that. As a coach, you talk about competitive spirit and, and, and being a competitor. And as, as long as you play a game, you're going to play the game to win it. And, and when you're out there, nothing but the best, whether there's some new you know rules or new spots. As far as technical offense, you're still going to run your stuff. Uh, obviously, you're going to – in your shoot-arounds, you're, you're going to run your actions a little bit – further so that if you need a three people are aware of that but you can't change in one day with, with a, a deeper three-point line or a wider a lane you just try to make people aware of the changes um, and then you go about business as usual which is game prep and practice like it was an NCAA tournament and that's that's what good coaches do they don't get caught up in looking ahead they don't get caught up in the what-ifs and and why we didn't get in that they they may for a little bit uh, initially uh, and and then they they move on and you know being in the NIT is great because you get a chance to practice and you get a chance especially for the returning players to get some more time on, on the court uh, and hopefully stretch it out for three weeks. Talking about practice. <laughs> Talking about practice, <laughs> Andy. <laughs> it, well, it, it, a couple of things I would say. I think from a, a rule standpoint, you know, most of what they're doing is designed to try to create more space on the floor. So I think some of those things actually help by you given how you know kind of clogged things have been a little bit i think a lot of that is to try to to drive some of that the foul thing is interesting and something i know that's gotten discussed quite a bit i think something that we'll probably see in college basketball you know sooner rather than later in terms of resetting those and getting rid of the one and one and that kind of thing so that one uh i think will be a good thing and and not really something that i think you have to you know coach any differently for and I, i think even the other stuff yeah, I mean, spacing becomes important and all those kinds of things, but I don't know that you're really doing anything different just to just to take advantage of those. I think, you know, larger than that, it really just turns into an issue. It's it's no different than, you know, college football bowl games where you, you can get the benefit if you have the right mindset of the extra practice time and the extra time to work on some things. Or you can get the team who wished that they were going someplace else and shows up at the bowl game and gets worked by somebody who's actually not as good as they are um, just because they don't want to be there. And I don't know that we'll get a great handle on that on, uh, on Tuesday night because the, because of the opponent. But I think shortly thereafter, whoever you'd play in the next game will be a much greater test and a, a much better barometer for who really wants to be there and, and wants to, you know, get what they can out of the, the experience of the NIT, even though it isn't, even though it isn't and wasn't the goal to start the season, uh, it, it'll, it'll be good to see who kind of embraces that opportunity versus uh, versus who doesn't. And I, I think you see that a lot of times at teams that, you know, just miss the NCAA tournament. They don't often go out and play well in the NIT because there's a disappointment factor of, uh, of ending up there. So it'll be interesting to see how this team who has been uh, unpredictable throughout the season uh, responds to an equally unpredictable situation. You know, also Galen, there's kind of this narrative that, okay, let's use the NIT, let's build some momentum for next year. You win the NIT, and it can really propel you into next season. Penn State won the NIT last year and promptly lost their first 10 Big Ten games. Now, they actually finished higher than Indiana and Ken Palm. They really rebounded. Um, and several people have asked me this, and I said I would look into it You know, if Indiana made the NIT, so I definitely will. But you, know, you have a, a 
deep knowledge of things that you can just call off the top of your head. So let me ask you, I don't know if that extends to the NIT, but do you do you buy it all? And is there any historical precedent to the narrative of a deep run in the NIT for kind of a bigger school like in Indiana can actually mean anything for the next season? Or is it just important practice time for young guys and you see how far you can get in this particular tournament for this particular year? I think it's probably more the latter. I don't think there's any real consistency in terms of what you could do. I mean, Minnesota two years ago, I think, won the NIT title and then promptly turned around and just completely got annihilated throughout the course of the season last year. But then on the flip side, last year, Marquette was in the NIT. They didn't win it. They only played, I think, three games. But they used that as a nice building block for coming in this year and having a really solid season throughout. And I think they're like a five seed this year. Uh, you know, it's I really think it comes down to why you're in the NIT. You know, an older team that underachieved and ends up in the consolation tournament, you're probably not going to get a whole lot out of that. But a team like IU, where you've got a lot of young pieces, they need to get some tournament experience. They need to get a sense of what it's like, uh, you know, to, to be in, a, I guess, the second class tournament and understand that, hey, I don't want to have that feeling anymore. I want to get to the better one next year. I think that can have some positive impacts. Coach, your thoughts? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the rotation is, the playing rotation. Uh, does race get more time? Uh, d- does Demisey get in? Does Jake Forster get in? And I'm not talking major minutes, but do they get, get some time that they haven't been getting in these, quote, must-win games? Or does Archie stay with a, a, a somewhat tighter uh, rotation? Uh, you know, what, what are you going to do with the health of Deron Davis? Uh, are you going to push him? Uh, as far as you need in order to to win games. Obviously, in the first game, as as Galen has said, that you probably will see more of that in game one. But when you start playing the Providence and and the Clemson down the road, if that's the path, um, are you going to play to develop? I mean, you always play to win the game. But do you have in mind uh, some minute rotations uh, for some of these younger guys uh, to, to build into next year? It'll be interesting to see which path Archie takes. Yeah, which path? Which path do you want him to take? Which path would you prefer? I mean, is this? Let's go because you hear about you know a lot of that. Let's get some of these young guys time. I'm of the mind. Let's go win the games. Like it's a game at the end of March that you need to win. Whoever earns the time, give them the time. Hopefully, the St. Francis game. You know, you it, it's a game where you can get a lot of guys in. But I say you know play to win, not necessarily just to get guys minutes. It's a weak answer to say both. You play to win and try to find. Um you know, some time for those guys that normally wouldn't be in there. And if that ends up hurting you, then, then so be it. Um, I, mm. that's kind of wishy-washy on the fence, you know, uh, Andy answer, Galen, but, are you, where are you at on that? Galen go first. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm too taken aback by the breaking news that, uh, that Josh Eastern of the Hoosier network. There you go. Sounds like, sounds like free student tickets for IU students being provided by IU Athletics. Free so, student uh, tickets. Okay. Free student tickets, it looks like. That, that might be a game changer. Okay, well, that's that's good. I mean, that's smart. Yeah, I know. It, it makes a lot of, I was you wondering know, if they were going to do that, but that uh, certainly makes some sense. Slowly but surely, making some amends for just giving away a home game the last time. Man, that that is that decision is just going to keep getting worse. Like history is just going to keep frowning at that awful decision more and more as the years go by, and be like, "What kind of ridiculous circumstances led to that?" And we all know what they were, but like, it's just never going to make sense. Yeah, no, it makes even less sense in as much as I think people still have a misconception as to why all that went down in the first place. So, 
the damage just continues to compound itself uh, year after year, it seems like. Yeah. Andy, what are your thoughts back to the rotation issue that we were talking about? I, it's hard. It's a hard message, I think, as a coach to send where you're you're trying to be out there and you don't want you don't want it. You don't want to treat it as anything other than what you would treat a normal game. But there's also a little bit of the, you know, I kind of I, I likened it to the college bowl example. There is a certain component of wanting to get some additional guys time and and practice and being able to take advantage of that to a certain extent. So and I don't know that we're going to see a whole lot of that on Tuesday. I think it becomes a bit more telling in the in the game after that. But I also think uh, if you want to set the tone, we're still in this early culture building time period. I think with that as backdrop, you probably treat it more like a regular game than not. And if you find opportunities in a, in a game, it, you know, the game Tuesday gets out of hand and you give the guys some additional time, then sure, I think you do it. But I also think you're trying to, you know, create a, a level of expectation, culture, whatever, whatever you want to attribute it to that if, if in any way it feels like you're punting on something because you're trying to give guys extra minutes, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a great look either. And probably at this stage of uh the archie miller era probably not a decision that you would want to make if you're in his shoes galen yeah i completely agree with andy i think that there's a perception problem right now with iu basketball uh among the fans among media and i think the worst thing you could do is you know the, the only thing worse than being in the nit is getting bounced early uh particularly as a higher seated team particularly playing at home i mean iu if this goes according to seed should have three games at home and they really need to win all three of those games in order for this not to look even more embarrassing for them. And while I, I do think that increasing rotation minutes to give uh, guys like Jake Forrester or race Thompson more time certainly might make some sense long-term at the end of the day, IU needs to win these games. I mean, they really, they need to demonstrate that the the season wasn't a complete train wreck, that there is some kind of positive momentum going forward. I mean, there's a big difference between, losing your last two and winning, say, what, like seven out of your last nine. And I think that IU and Archie Miller probably know that, but hopefully that's what they're looking at as they go into these games. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And the comparison is definitely imperfect. So let me say that, you know, before I even make it. But, you know, the women's team last year, they made the NIT, you know, made that great run and won it. And there was so much enthusiasm. And I don't think there's there's no set of circumstances where the Indiana men's team could get that kind of enthusiasm for an NIT victory like the women's team did Two completely different programs. But, you know, that team then lost their two best players. People kind of wondered how good the team would be this year. And now they're poised to make the NCAA tournament. It looks like I don't know the women's bracketology as much, but, you know, they had some of the same questions that the IU men's team is going to face next year where you lose these two massive players. And, you know, the team ends up, you know, doing okay. And so maybe what, you know, the confidence built or the momentum built from that NIT run, you know, kind of helped take that season, which had been kind of disappointing, end it with a little bit of a positive note. Again, more than it would be for the men's team to do it. But maybe then for those returning players, they can build some confidence or whatever it is going into the offseason, you know, that can help. And so, you know, we have a recent example of that, you know, here in our own uh, athletic program and hopefully... You know, whatever lesson there is there for the men's team to take, hopefully they can uh, they can take that. What else about the NIT should we discuss? I mean, we're, again, we're going to talk about it on Banner Monday. We'll be there for the post game show, Coach. You have something that you want to say? Here, here's the thing that always impresses me about Indiana basketball, and I know 
people are saying we haven't been relevant for a long time. Uh, when I was uh, down there and my son was a manager, I started going to the games real early. Um, and the number of families and fans that come down and, and stand and watch the warm-ups and then the lines afterwards to get their picture on the Indiana in the midcourt, one of the better things about the NIT is it gives some people that might not be able to go pay the the, the ticket price or, or get season tickets. It might afford uh, some people a chance to go to Assembly Hall and experience Indiana basketball. And that's the reason, as well as the basketball needing to win, we need to get the winning vibe back in the in in the fan base and everything too. And you know, we we are all on social media and we see all of the naysayers and the negative and all of that. But there's a lot of people that really really enjoy their experience uh, at Assembly Hall and and they wear their candy stripes. And so so I think that's important too. If we can get three home games for our fans that don't normally get to be there, it might be a chance in a lifetime. Uh, as they've sat and watched on TV. And and for me, and I've been in there so many times, I don't know that I fully recognized that until I saw some of the faces of the dads with their sons and, and, and some of those things in those in those times when they can go and uh, there are, are availability for tickets. And so uh, that, that's the thing that's, besides the X's and O's that everyone mentioned here, are very, very important. Uh, I, I think that's something that's uh, good about the NIT, and hopefully we have three of those uh, games. And I would also just add for anybody who's wondering, like, you know, should I go? Should I care about this? There is still recruiting going on. And it is possible there could be official visits, you know, if Indiana keeps going in this tournament that could overlap with some of these games and, you know, potential players coming to Indiana that might be in the arena. And, you know, let's let them know they're not going to see a vintage assembly hall crowd, obviously, but let's at least let them see, you know, a fan base that's really behind the team. And I think all the people who go, obviously, you're not going to go to a game like that if you're not supportive. But, you know, there is a, you know, as, as there often is, you know, kind of a small, you know, faction of people that just seem to want to take everything with a negative view. And you hope that they wouldn't even be listened to at all. But sometimes those people are. And, you know, for recruits who are still looking at, you know, Indiana for this recruiting go around probably not good for them to look at it and be like, why does a certain small section of this fan base seem to actively not like their team and not even want to give them any credit for earning uh, you know, a, a bid to the NIT? So just keep that in mind as you're out there expressing your opinions because people do read them and you never know who is reading them. Um, so let me ask you, I want to get back to talking a little bit kind of big picture bracket bracketology talk, not necessarily about this year's bracket, but and Andy, I'll start with you on this. You know, when you when you kind of look at, okay, what did we learn from this year's bracket and how might it impact college basketball moving forward? A couple of big questions that I see and topics that I've seen since the brackets were announced were, and you talked about this some, you know, where teams that had a high amount of losses really seemed to get dinged. And it almost felt like, hey, if you had just scheduled lighter, like I made the joke earlier, if Indiana had scheduled St. Francis instead of Arkansas, maybe they're in the tournament. Do you think that what we saw could have a negative impact on scheduling? If by negative we mean more kind of big conference teams, you know, not scheduling as well in the non-conference to pad the one loss total. And did you see any negative impact of the Big Ten moving to a 20-game schedule uh, in how this bracket was put together? Well, I think depending on how you answer the first question, it, it kind of answers the second for you in and of itself. I there's definitely been some sentiment of that out there. Um, it's a little bit hard to figure out what some of the messages actually are. I mean, you did have, again, uh, a Florida team that got in with 15 losses. So that's three straight years that a team with 15 losses has gotten in. I think they've been 19 to 15 every time. 
So even though it was the net being used this time as the you know, sorting tool of choice as opposed to the RPI, you saw similar things where quality wins get cited a lot. Um, and, and so though that still comes up, but it's a little bit hard to, but there's also some of these, oh, well, and you know, no team, you know, just two games over 500 made it since 2001. So there seem to be some somewhat arbitrary thresholds that are out there that, that say, you know, we just haven't seen a team that way. And, you know, make the tournament. And it was funny, Alex and I were going back and forth when I was just, you know, kind of going about posting, you know, bracketology stuff. And he asked me about IU and I said, I could see a scenario where I'm wrong, but there's so many things that went against historical precedent to put them in that um, as somebody who's trying to get the, you know, predict what the committee is going to do, it's not necessarily good business to predict things that haven't happened a whole lot in, in recent memory or haven't happened at all for, for them to do it. So, I do think one of the things that's come up it seems like some people have really taken that to say, "Hey, go rack up a bunch of wins against uh, lesser teams, improve your efficiency margin, and do some of those things." And I think to a certain extent that's true. Um, there, there's got to be some kind of sweet spot though, where you see a team like NC State get left out because they had the worst strength of schedule, and they had a lot of you know quad one opportunities didn't win. You know the, the kind of upper tier quad one opportunities they didn't win any of them. And basically, beat you know two teams that were part of the at-large field, um, and only had just based on how the scheduling worked out in the ACC, they beat one team that had a, a record over 500. So there's a little bit of that where you can't just rely completely on your your conference to be able to can everybody in your conference get enough wins that everybody inflates their own you know net, and then every game that you play within the conference gives you a chance at a quality win. In an ideal scenario, I guess you could talk about that, but you still have to you know, win some of those games and, and figure that out. But I do think you'll see that a little bit. And and to take the second part of your question, if there really is this belief that, yeah, it's a little bit of how many, you know, quality wins you had, but also that volume of wins matters. If you assume that every Big Ten team took, you know, two conference games away in a year where the league was just beating the hell out of each other uh, over the course of the season and swapped those out for two games that were imminently winnable for most of the teams, uh, it certainly would have helped because I thought Iowa and Minnesota were both seated lower than I would have expected and really thought Purdue was the only one who got seated higher than what I would have expected when you kind of run down the list of the Big Ten teams that made it. Galen, those, those, that same topic to you, but also you, know, you hear this a lot, like, oh, this is going to change it. Now coaches are going to start doing X. If coaches do knee-jerk to something they see in this particular bracket, do they risk really trying to hit a moving target that could be completely different next year? Because there have been some years where it's like, well, you need to schedule better. And now this year, it's not quite like that. So it seems like the smart coaches would actually be a little bit more patient than just knee-jerking into a complete change in their scheduling philosophy. I Yeah, I think it's a mistake. I think people have taken the, the initial statements about the 20-game schedule in the Big Ten the wrong direction uh, and, and said, oh, well, we just need to schedule more cream puffs. Well, that's not really what the message is, in my opinion. The, the message is the 20-game schedule hurts because it takes two more winnable games, theoretically, off of your schedule. I mean, Indiana's non-conference strength of schedule was pretty average. I think it was like 185th or something around that. Um, that wasn't why they didn't get in, though. Why they didn't get in was they didn't have two additional wins. And I think what Andy's talking about in in any conference year but particularly in a year where you've got a lot of quality teams and they're beating each other up and you're picking up losses within that phase of things I think that's going to hurt you particularly when you compare to other leagues where you've only got 16 conference games or 18 conference games you don't have the ability to add even 
like tier two or tier three level games that you could win. And so I just, I look at it like this. Uh, I think Andy kind of hit upon what I was going to talk about initially on this, which is that it's not so much that Indiana didn't get in. Uh, and that's, I think, a separate issue. It's that almost everybody in the Big Ten was underseated. Uh, Michigan State, I think, had an argument to be a one seed. Instead, the ACC gets three one seeds. Michigan barely gets the last two seed. Um, you know, Wisconsin's probably a seed line below where where I think they should have been. Maryland was at least a seed line below. Iowa was two seed lines below. Ohio State barely made it into the field. Minnesota was low. That, to me, is a product of a, a committee that said, hey, we're going to prioritize wins. And while I do think that the moving target issue is something that is worth keeping in mind, and you don't want to radically change things too much based upon any given year, it does seem like there is a preference for teams that win a lot of games with, with one or two exceptions every year. I mean, UNC Greensboro almost made this field. And, and you look at their resume, I'm sorry, they had no argument uh, to be that close to getting into the field other than they won a bunch of games. And that didn't matter against who, just they won a bunch of games. So if I'm the Big Ten, I'm looking at this and I'm like, well, I've committed myself to this 20-game schedule and I've committed myself to playing two conference games in December which, which is completely out of the rhythm of the rest of the season, I think that that's potentially an issue long-term. And that's something that uh, it's probably too late for the Big Ten to do anything about it over the course of the next couple of years. But if that trend continues, they should probably look at not doing it that way anymore. Well, it's funny to just to jump in on the same thing. I think if you put yourself in the position of the Big Ten, you, you look at it in some ways as, well, I'm setting myself up to have more opportunities for quality wins, which is largely true. I mean, if you think about that, even when the league's not great, you you have more. The problem is that if you have a league that isn't top heavy, um, and you have everybody kind of and just beating up on each other and taking a bunch of losses, it, it it ends up hurting in a year where they do some of these things. So it's like, yeah, well, I'm giving you two more opportunities at a quality win. The problem is that if you go one and one in those or zero oh and two it actually hurts you in the end. So I think it's somewhat short-sighted to look at it and say, but I would guess that somebody at some point thought like, well, this could be a good thing because we're going to get other chances to get quality wins. And then while that's true, the flip side is you're not getting chances to get other wins, which um, based on you know kind of what we talked about is what the committee valued. And to be clear, IU lost a ton of games that they probably could have and should have won. And that's really why they got out. So I don't think anybody's laying this on the doorstep of the Big Ten and saying, hey, you shouldn't have had 20 games. But I do think it's a worthwhile conversation. But the effect on seeding, like you said, too. To think long term about what it actually is going to mean and what the intended impact of it was versus what the real impact of it has been. The ironic thing is they did the same thing in football and they've kept themselves out of the college football playoff the last few years by the same logic. Like, oh, we're going to play more games against our conference. That's going to mean more chances at quality wins. And the exact opposite effect has really taken place for the Big Ten. Well, football, especially, man, just avoid losses at all costs. You know, that's you know that seems to be the most important thing. Coach, your thoughts on Here's, this? The the two most competitive conferences got hurt in seeding, the Big Ten and the Big Twelve. And, and it's been mentioned that when when you go on the road in the Big Twelve and in the Big Ten, it's going to be very difficult to win. And I thought road record of of the teams we missed more than two seeds, almost everyone had a losing road record which when you play in a tough conference, that possibly can happen. Wisconsin was 500. Purdue was right around 500, and those were some of the better teams. So, you know, the coaching staff and the schedules, you can't – Jared, you were right with the moving target. But 
the RPI was a heavy schedule based. Who'd you play? Who'd you play? And who'd you schedule? So teams went out and wanted to schedule some tough opponents in the non-conference uh, to do that. Now with the metrics, and, and if if it is a shift towards um, road record and some of those things, and conference play is not supposed to be part of the criteria. It's not part of the stated criteria. And yet it seemed like this committee really was sympathetic to teams like Washington in a bad pack uh, 12. Oh, they didn't get as many opportunities as the guys in the Big 10 and the Big 12, or it's hard for them to get to quad one wins because the conference is down, but they're really a good team. And the, and the committee does get these reports from their the regional ranking systems and stuff. And I think maybe that played a huge part where the bracketologists, we don't get that information. So these people are reporting on, you know, how they play and they rank the teams in the West and the, in the South or whatever the, the regions are. That's a factor too. If transparency is what they're trying to do, they're doing a very poor job of it. And, and I've always said this, the committee does a pretty good job in the five years I've been doing this. Um, I think this is the one that has the most questions uh, but I still think the ins- the problem is more with the criteria and the stated criteria. And I think you can still have this bracketology, this watching of basketball that I think is great for the sport uh, in, in selecting teams, but yet saying you can't, you got to be at least four games over 500 to get in a bare minimum. You have to, you know, we're going to look at quality of wins for seeding purposes, meaning who do you play and who do you beat is the number one. Um, and, and again, I think people would understand that instead of saying, you know, uh, Washington, no wins against the top 50 and no wins against the field, and they're a nine seed. Maybe they should be in, but maybe that's a 10 or 11. Same with Utah State. Same with VCU, only having one win against the top 50 program. And you got you got Minnesota sitting there with a lot more, and you have, um, you know, some of, the, some of those other teams that had eight top-tier wins in 1A and 2A and they're well behind those teams. So transparency is an issue. The criteria needs to be fixed, and and that's what causes most of the problems. But, you know, I still think you have to schedule wisely. And, and really the key thing is not scheduling cupcakes. It's scheduling quad three and four teams that are going to be pretty good. Uh, and you still have a good chance of beating them, uh, but you're not getting the 300s, the 320s. you got to get the 150s, the 200s. And here's an interesting thing that I would propose. That strength of schedule number not be used. But look at the games played against quad three and four. We broke that down. Indiana had nine, and VCU had 23. So don't look at a number and the nets of all these teams and how they play and all those things. They had 23 games against the two lowest quads. Um, Washington had 17. Uh, UNCG had 22. and your metrics are going to be great if you play bad teams. Western High School, our stats were really good against the two worst teams on our schedule. So that's the frustration from my end. Well said, Andy. Your eyes are looking heavy. I think it's it's time to it's time to let you go and get some rest. I, I, I'm impressed. All of you guys are still up this late, given uh, given what this week is like. So yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've finished soccer tournament over the weekend too. It's just been yeah, just taking it to a different level now. But by the way, real quick, how did you guys do? On uh, your they, on your brackets, uh, I, I, I texted you guys. I think I got. I mean, I think most everybody probably would have gotten all but one team right. I don't know that a lot of people had Belmont, or if they did, they m- probably didn't take TCU out. So I think I had. <laughs> I I got Belmont right and still missed three teams. So it was, it was a weird year for me. Well, there you well there you go. <laughs> um. So I now I had that, and then I think I got forty 
four the exact seed line i want to say and maybe 18 within one i missed i missed a few like the 8 10 range and then vcu i missed by three seed lines and the fact that they were the the top number eight seed is absurd but that's neither here nor there mm. coach is, is delphi bracketology going to hang on to number one <laughs> no we're going to fall down a little bit <laughs> it's it's about time maybe maybe we'll you know, get a little break on twitter but you gonna, uh, you gonna make those kids run some wind sprints for not holding up no, the standard I, I, you guys are number well, one man yeah our guys <laughs> did fantastic they do every year we got 67 to 68 right uh our score is going to be a little lower because we had less correct yeah. but we still had we still had 60 62 it within one seed line are correct uh and, and we had five that were off and so when you have less correct you're gonna you lose out on some points and that's where your scoring is going to be lower but for our for our high school kids to have 62 out of 68 within one seed and a lot of those misses and i'm sure andy and, and galen are the same way we had mississippi state at uh, 21 and they were 20 and we had iowa state at 20 and they were 21 you're just one overall slot off but it cost you two right answers so when we dig deep into it we're going to be very proud it's just cool to have a basement full of dudes eating pizza and 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 talking and we were right up to the 5 30 before we submitted our bracket we had four scenarios for the last team in one of them included indiana there were a couple of kids trying to push indiana and good for I those kids no, and we <laughs> good for those kids be proud of them so uh those, those are my favorite up, people in yeah. delphi bracketology I've told people this for a year. It's about the process for us. And yeah, winning is important. But when you go up against 187 competitors, it's kind of hard to go be, be number one. So their pizza was on the assembly call. Everybody else. Yeah. Thank pizza. you very we're much. Not, I appreciate that. And I'll get the bill sent to you here shortly. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, we are, we're happy to support you guys. I think it's so cool what you do. I mean, that you've gotten your students involved and I think it's awesome. Um, all right, Andy, let's get a final thought from you and Galen, if you need to hop off too soon, we can get a final thought from you, but if you're good to hang around, we can talk a little bit longer. Uh, but Andy, your final thoughts on a disappointing selection Sunday for Indiana Hoosiers fans. Yeah, I, I guess on some level, I'm I'm kind of glad that things played out the way they did, so that I didn't give myself or really anybody else any more more hope that IU would find a way to break some of those historical trends and and find their way in. So it's certainly uh, it's certainly disappointing given what expectations were coming into the season, and then at various points during the season, um, it's also surprising they made the NIT given what the expectations had become at certain points of the season. So. Um, you, you never really know. I will say, though, after having done this two of the last three years, there are a few things more depressing as a sports fan than looking through your guide to figure out what channel the NIT selection show is on and actually sitting down to watch it. So um, I would yeah. prefer not to do that again, just as a, a more of a, a mental health type of uh, scenario. But, uh, you know, all you can hope for at this point is that the team really embraces the opportunity that they have. It's not what you wanted. It's not where you thought you'd be. Um, and, and so at this point, I think it'll be, we said this a lot, you know, something didn't go right for this team, how they respond will be telling. Um, and, and I think it'll be kind of telling how they come out in, in this scenario. I think Archie, you know, looks like he, he put a brief statement out, yeah, he did. um, just so they're excited for the opportunity and things like that. I think if the team shows that, I think there are building blocks that you can have there where you're giving guys experience and, uh, for these younger guys to get another, you know, handful of games together would be terrific. Uh, I don't think we learned that on Tuesday. I think you start to learn that whenever the, the second round game would be against Providence or Arkansas. Um, but I certainly hope that they, that they embrace it in the same way that they, uh, you know, pick themselves up toward the end of the season before stumbling again against Ohio state. And that's really will be kind of the, the storyline for me to look for is really just the attitude they come into these games with and, uh, and how they play. And 
uh, as I told you guys in the chat, uh, Ken Palm updated. So 96% chance of victory on Tuesday. So again, I don't know that this game is going to teach us uh, a great deal, but uh, I, you know, I'd encourage people to go out. Another chance to see Juwan Morgan in an IU uniform in Assembly Hall, and I think there's, uh, there's definitely something to be said for that. So again, not where everybody wanted to be, not the conversation that we wanted to be having, but we'll uh, look forward to talking about it, and hopefully uh, it, it, some good things are going to come from the experience overall that we may or may not uh, realize this year, but something that we hopefully can look back on at some point and you know, kind of look at this as another step in the process of, of where the program's going and where it needs to be. Although in disappointing NIT news, while Romeo Langford is apparently going to play, Ryan Phillips is not going to be here for the first week of the NIT. Now, he has his excuses. We'll let him tell you those when he comes back. Uh, but he will not be here for Tuesday night's uh, Tuesday night's NIT game. He will not be here for Thursday night. He does have very legitimate reasons why. Yeah. However, we're going to give him crap for it all week. Too big to, I- play, to, to be here for the NIT shows, are you? <laughs> I'm mostly just disappointed that we won't get to hear his thoughts on uh, 7 p.m. tip time for uh, on a Tuesday for an NIT game. That's really that's yeah. the part that'll be the hardest for me to deal with. Yeah, but we really we'll, gotta, we'll we'll gotta slot that in the tier, the the hierarchy of. We'll get by as best we can. Yes, we will. All right, thanks, Andy. All right, um, thanks, guys. So, real quick, Galen, I'll lead you into. Is this a final thought for you? Are you going to bounce? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So let me lead you into that. Let me just read uh, the full statement from Archie Miller. Zach Osterman tweeted. Mike Miller tweeted it. Quote: it "Is an honor to earn an invitation to postseason play of any kind, and our program will treat it as such. We look forward to the opportunity to be a number one seed in the NIT, and our goal is to win and take advantage of the experiences that we can gain as a team." Anything? Anything of note there? Pretty. Pretty, pretty standard pretty stuff. milk toast comment from yeah. Archie on that. I mean, what's he supposed to say? I, I think this is a dangerous uh, situation for IU because there are expectations tied with being a one seed. And, you know, if your team can't get up for playing what is in essence a must-win game on a neutral court against a not very good Ohio State team, I do worry about the motivations playing in the NIT when we're, you know, at the end of the day for the players, none of the outcomes really matter that much. Uh, you know, maybe for Juwan Morgan, they matter because it's his last games in an IU uniform, but I don't know for anybody else if it's going to be taken with the level of seriousness. I hope it is. Uh, and I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love to, you know, to see them come out and play with the kind of verve that they played in the last four games of the regular season. I just have my questions about that. So this is a, a difficult situation for IU and for Archie Miller uh, in the trying to marshal the attitudes and the energy in a positive way and I'll be curious to see what happens. I think that ultimately IU basketball is at a big crossroads at this point. And the crossroads is, is going to extend out into the offseason. And it's going to extend into the, the end part of recruiting. It's going to extend into next year. And uh, there's not a lot of good vibes surrounding this program right now. You just have to hope that the NIT doesn't add to the bad vibes and that maybe it gives some kind of a positive atmosphere uh, surrounding the program heading into the offseason. IU Artifacts wonders if you think it could be a repeat of 2005. A, real, a happy moment for you two. No, yeah, that was yeah, that was a shared <laughs> shared moment between him and I. Even though we didn't know it until 14 years later, I don't think I don't think it's a situation where you're going to see a repeat at least in the first game. If there is, then then that's real bad. Like this this is not a game that I should afford to or could afford to lose. Uh, I do think there might be some potential for that in the following game but again you it, the nit is it's it's roulette you don't know the motivations of your own team you don't know the motivations of the teams coming in to play you um and so i i'd be shocked if there was that kind of a letdown in the first game uh, i i don't know beyond that 
And I think it's going to be a really weird experience because, you know, a couple of years ago with the Georgia Tech loss on the road, it, it was almost probably the best that it happened then because I don't know what that situation would have been like had it dragged out longer. But uh, in this situation, I, I do think that uh, it's just going to be kind of a weird environment all the way through. Yeah. Which, you know, and I think that's kind of fair. NIT yeah. should feel weird. You know, like that is a, a fair thing for it to be. I think it's like I, I don't I don't think it shows some kind of like weakness on the part of fans. If you're interested in the IT and you're going to cheer on the team like no one's saying it's acceptable. No one's saying it's successful. So maybe that's exactly how it should be. It should feel weird and uncomfortable and they should be clothes that we never want to wear again. But we're just going to make the best of it this time. And that's probably how it will be. And that's probably exactly how it should be. And hopefully they can make the best of it. You don't want to be the Elgin Baylor of uh, uh, as GM of of NIT teams. You don't want to be a veteran of the process, you no. know, which is really <laughs> that's more the domain of the Penn States and Minnesotas of of the Big Ten. So yeah, you, you want it to be uncomfortable. You want it to be a little bit weird, and you want to not have to experience it again for another twelve or thirteen years. Absolutely. Well, Galen, thank you for hopping on last minute. As always, always great to get your insight, and I'm sure we'll be doing some. Uh, cross appearances on each other's podcasts here in the off season because there's going to be it's going to be a weird like no matter what happens in this nit i feel like it's going to be a really weird off season because there are so many important questions that need to be answered in years three and four of the archie miller tenure and there's just you know how much are we going to be able to really like figure those out this off season i don't know we're going to be talking about them but it's i think it's going to be a very frustrating off season where it's like damn it, let's just get to next season already so we can see what's going to happen. Yeah. Not like this year where you kind of bathed in the, you know, in like this, the afterglow of the Romeo announcement, everything seemed possible. Obviously, we know what happened there, but it's just going to be a totally different feeling for the offseason. So. Well, thanks for having me on. Thanks for ju- jumping on Crimson Cast last week. Coach, have a good one. We'll catch you guys later. Yep. Right, see you. On the flip side. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Coach. It's just you and me. We won't uh, we won't belabor this too long. Um, yeah, thoughts on kind of what you expect? Are you going to be with us Tuesday night for the post game show? Yeah, I'll be I'll be able to go Tuesday, uh, and we'll see from there um, what's going on. Our spring break starts Thursday afternoon. Um, you know, I, I want to say a couple things. One, um, you know, we we missed out on Keon Brooks, and congratulations to Keon to choosing a school that you want to go to. And encourage uh, our fans. I think most of our our listeners are on board on this, but um, you know, it, it, choosing a college is a very special thing for everyone, let alone an athlete. And, and I, I wish Keon the best, and then I wish Archie to continue his quest to find players that fit Archie's style of playing basketball and fit the Indiana mold that everyone wants, which is hard nosed guys who like to compete. And and, and so I, I just wanted to say that uh, officially from from my vantage point. The other thing that I'd like to encourage, too, is I think it's okay to be critical, uh, but I want to say this. There's not an Indiana basketball player that I don't like as a person. There might be an Indiana basketball player that I don't like the way he's playing basketball or approaching the game of basketball. It's hard when you tweet and, and you're on a show and it's emotional. Sometimes maybe you don't think through everything that you want to say, but I encourage fans to think through stuff and, and, and make it not personal towards these guys. Um you know, if someone seems like they're they're not caring, that that's just a personal game situation flaw. That's doesn't mean we have to dislike or mistreat the the, the individual. And, and with that being said, I think going into the NIT and next year, we're really going to tell if if there's some kids on the roster 
that uh, have the best interest of playing uh, for Archie and playing for Indiana the way that I think most of us want people to play for Indiana. And I think that's been a problem in the program for some time. Uh, and, and again, they're all good guys. Um, but as this fan missing the tournament three times in a row, uh, I think we need better players with better approaches uh, to the game of basketball. Maybe not better people, but just better approaches to the game of basketball. And I think that starts here in the NIT. And, and uh, you know, I'm excited to see uh, Armand and Trace Jackson Davis uh, come in. And, it, and we're going to get at least one, if not a, a couple more new faces in. And I just think that's needed after the disappointing day-to-day and the disappointing season because, obviously, the roster – uh, and the coaching of the roster, too, has to come into play. But, but, but this roster was flawed with shooting issues and competitive issues all year uh, and was able to mask it in some come-from-behind games, some close wins early, uh, some great fight at the end, but just not enough. And I think that's what was revealed Thursday is that when all of a sudden when there was something to lose, uh, there, the tightness showed up and the lack of competitiveness. When you're 13 and 14 and playing Wisconsin, you can play free and easy. Um, and I think that's just a flaw as basketball players uh, with some of these guys, not as, as people. So uh, I'm going to try to to have my criticism be a little more straightforward that way and emphasize to people that, um, you know, I like the guys, but I don't like the way they play basketball. And this year has been a disappointment. And what a great change that would be to go out and win f- five games and go to New York and, and, and feel good about the candy stripes this uh, going into the summer. Amen. By the way, I forgot to mention Banner Moment today, that tweet that your wife sent earlier uh, earlier today. <laughs> Man, I'm married up, dude. <laughs> She's oh awesome. My gosh. She hasn't seen me for three days. I've been down in the man cave, haven't shaved, uh, and, and yet she's got my back booing Lenardi upstairs. And That's so great. Yeah, the, the sign, it says, life is fun, basketball is serious, on the front door yeah. for, for the crew coming over. What was, uh, if I can, f- oh, I don't know where the tweet was. I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was, it, you're right. It was basically booing Lenardi and it was, yeah. uh, it was and fabulous. He said, said something about, <laughs> seriously though, he goes, he gets the big bucks and all the airtime and you are, and kids who just got their driver's license are sitting in the man cave doing a better job than he is. <laughs> so uh, she's yeah, great. She, she is the better half and she has the strength and I, you know, we could do a show on sociology and, and, and what's important, but marrying someone who allows you to be you, um, and keeps you in line. That's priceless. Matt, so. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So last question for you mm-hmm. every year, we do kind of like an NCAA tournament preview show and like go through the brackets and stuff. We'll have to see if we have time for that um, before the games actually start on Thursday. Maybe we'll do a little bit of that with Banner Monday tomorrow. Um, I have not even looked at the bracket yet, so I can't give anything here. So let me ask you, for anybody still listening who wants a little advice from someone who kind of knows these teams like you do, do you have any like like rock-solid, these teams I'm picking to go to the Final Four and maybe any kind of underdogs that you think, hey, keep an eye on them and maybe this is a team that could spring a couple of upsets? Pick Duke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, oh, that guy is that guy. Hang is on. I, incredible. I, so I know one question I wanted to ask, and I didn't get a chance to ask it when Galen and Andy were here, but injuries. How much were injuries taken into account this year with the teams that were chosen and seeding? Because I've, I have an issue with this because it feels like such a slippery slope where I don't know how the selection committee can actually do it and apply it fairly across the entire pool of potential teams. 
Yeah, you know, when you have 68 teams, I imagine, man, maybe 50, 60% of them had somebody that was out, and, and usually a starter out is going to change a game. Uh, you know, I had the NC State fans telling me that their player was out on this game, so you can't count it. And and here's the problem is you can't eliminate losses simply because players weren't there. You can't assume that loss is going to be a win and the resume is automatically going to get better. It can explain some things. And I thought Indiana had a, a, an explanation. 12-2, and two, point guard goes out. As the, as the point guard's just coming back, you have a suspension of the sixth man and the seventh man has to sit out three uh, three days. And then when they come back, they go five and five. And, and that was my only hope for IU. And I think that's why IU was in the, in the first four out is because they, they probably looked at that as when they were full strength, they were about 17 and 10, uh, 17 and 11. You could probably go there. And we knew that they were injured all year long, but I think the play at against Ohio state showed that this team kind of maybe wasn't what it was the last four games when they won. So to answer your question, no one knows exactly. There's not a set pattern, um, but I they do know about every single injury. The Dean Wade injury at Kansas State. They they know uh, Iowa State was without um, the Shayok and some other players. Uh, but you try to guess what team is there now in March, and where would they be relative to what has been seen in the past, as opposed to eliminating losses and or adding wins or something like that. That's the best I can tell you. And and we try to do that a little bit in our committee, but it's just so hard because. You know, we're not on the West Coast, and we don't know what injuries Washington had and yeah. those little instances. But um, I think it plays a little bit, but not as much as people maybe would want it to. Um, so, hmm. I, I, you know, there's no doubt Duke's the number one team in the country with Zion. Yeah. And I think they, hand, I think they handled that extremely uh, fair. And then you beat Virginia twice with him. And so, I, I just think that's an honest evaluation. So let's see. We've got uh, Josh Wilson, not surprisingly, picking Old Dominion over Purdue. Just going through the chat mob here. Joel's picking Seton Hall over Wofford. Uh, Jacob's picking... Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.